Last week, we began thinking about following Jesus. We looked at the divide or the separation between the crowd and the 12 apostles whom Jesus called out to follow him. Well, today really continues that theme of following Christ, but with a bit of a twist. Jesus is very purposeful in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 35. You have these two parties. On the one hand, in verses 20 and 21, we're going to be introduced to Jesus' people and their agenda for Jesus. And on the other hand, we have the scribes in verses 22 and following. They're very different in their motives, what they say about Jesus, but both are opposed to Christ. And it's in this context where we we are introduced to this opposition to Jesus that Jesus then teaches us about his true family, the family of God. And he holds up the true standard next to the counterfeit. And we learn that while Jesus' enemies oppose him, they have their own agendas. Jesus' family listens to Jesus. Jesus' family obeys the will of God. You want to know how you know the family of God? It is by their willingness to do the will of God. Doing the will of God is what counts. We're going to read the entire passage for this morning. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 35. And then we'll look at uh, what this text has to say to us this morning. Mark chapter 3, beginning of verse 20 says, Then he, that's Jesus, went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan is risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. 
And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Jesus comes back from the mountain and the people flock to see him. The crowd is so great that we're told that that they, that is he and the disciples, did not even have a chance to sit down for a meal. They didn't have time to eat. But with the crowd comes Opposition. Verse 21, his own people heard it. And verse 22, the scribes came down from Jerusalem. Both the unlikely opposition of his own people, his own folks, if you will, and the more familiar hatred of the scribes are at play here. We're meant to see the connection between these two parties and the claims that they make against Jesus. They they have different motives, perhaps, but they're both opposed to God and his will. And this is evident in how they spoke of Jesus. The claim of Jesus' people, verse 21, is that he's lost his senses. On the other hand, we have the claim of the scribes. Verse 22, he's possessed by a demon. Verse 30, he has an unclean spirit. To use the language of C.S. Lewis, uh, they're calling him a, a lunatic and a liar. A lying, demon-possessed man. I want to begin with the intent of the scribes, their malicious accusation, and then we'll return at the end to Jesus' people. So we'll begin in verse 22, and I'm just going to read that again. The scribes came down from Jerusalem, and this is what they said. They said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And so... The scribes, we know from the first two chapters, have been trying to trip Jesus up. They don't have his best interests in mind. They want to tear him down. Verse 6 of chapter 3, we saw that they're plotting what they can do to get rid of Jesus, to deal with the problem that they saw that he was to their power and their authority and their teachings. And so now a delegation has come all the way from Jerusalem, these experts in the law of God. 
And Matthew and Luke's gospel tell us that they were witnesses of what Jesus was doing. They witnessed him in particular cast a demon out of a mute man and heal that man. And so they, they can't dispute the miraculous power of God that is at work. They can't dispute that this man was healed. They've seen it with their own eyes. And so what they do is they attack the source of Jesus' power. They attack the Spirit of God, calling the Spirit that is holy, the Spirit that was at work in healing and in setting people free. This same Spirit they call a demon. An unclean spirit. So Jesus, of course, responds. He does not let this slide. He defends not only the work of the Holy Spirit, but also the teaches us the reality of what was taking place, the true spiritual reality, contrary to the, the claim, the accusation of the scribes. At risk of simplifying Jesus' message, he is very clearly exposing the foolishness of their charge, first of all, and secondly, exposing their hardness of heart, their unwillingness to see the work of God and to acknowledge it as God's work. So Jesus points out through parables, through examples that uh, expound spiritual truth that can both obscure truth and yet reveal it. Jesus points out if he was acting on Satan's behalf, Satan was acting to destroy himself, his kingdom, and his power. This is, this is foolishness. No one does this. He would be destroying his own kingdom. He would be casting himself out. How does that work? So he uses these examples to show this, the foolishness of Satan taking down his own servants be akin to saying that Satan was suicidal. He was signing his own death warrant. Since this is not so, Jesus points out what is going on in verse 27. Verse 27 I need to flip in my Bible there or here we go. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. What is Jesus saying here? Well, 
The owner of the house is not going to let somebody come in and steal his goods. A strong man, let's say the mob boss, is not just going to let you come in and take from him. You don't steal from the drug cartel. You can't take from Satan unless you're a stronger man, stronger power than him. Jesus reveals here, he is the one who has power over Satan, able to bind him, to free these people from Satan's power. You see, daily, Satan's house was being plundered by Jesus. Every demon that he cast out marked the collapse of the kingdom of Satan at the hands of God's anointed. The truth is that Jesus is not working with Satan Jesus, the bearer of God's spirit, is in the business of crushing Satan and freeing people from his power, offering them life. But since the scribes have rejected the spirit of God, not for the first or the last time, Jesus pronounces a dreadful word against them. This is a a no joke what we read, and I'll read it. Verses 28 to 30. Truly, I say to you, a phrase that marks great seriousness, declaration of truth. Jesus speaks as the one who declares truth on behalf of God. He says, truly, I say to you, All sins will be forgiven the children of men and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Jesus speaks of blasphemy here against the Holy Spirit because very clearly they have called the Holy Spirit unclean. They've equated the Spirit of God with a demon. Now Jesus' warning about the unforgivable sin, about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, must be understood in light of the scribes' complete opposition to the Spirit of God. They've shown it before, shown it again here. By calling the spirit of holiness an unclean spirit, they show a perversion of their spirit that defies the truth. They know better, yet they continue to call the work of God the work of the devil. This wasn't a slip of the tongue. This was a conscious and deliberate rejection of the spirit of God. A rejection of the very one who can forgive, the very one who could draw them to repentance, who could free them from their slavery to sin. (laughs) 
a warning for any who would reject the very one who can bring us life to persist in calling the work of God's Spirit evil. The scribes acted as though they were on the side of God's holiness. They stood in their minds for the law of God. But they were opposed to God's Holy Spirit. Now there was another group that opposed Jesus on that day acting as though they had the best interests of Jesus at heart. Jesus' own people. Verse 21 says, But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Now this phrase, his own people, may be translated in a couple of different ways. We wouldn't know whom he is referring to just from this word alone. The word can mean kinsmen or relatives. It can mean uh, close friends or, or people that are very uh, acquainted with and identified with Jesus. So who is it that's coming to take hold of Jesus, to, to take control of him and to claim that he's actually insane? He's lost his senses. Well, it is my uh, belief that Mark tells us what happens in verse 31. And uh, he brackets this around the scribes' opposition to show us that the, the opposition that we read about in verse 21 is very much the same as that of the scribes. Not high-handed. Maybe not malicious, but opposition to Jesus nonetheless. Verse 31 says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called to him. It would seem to me that they are to be identified with the family of Jesus, his own people, who were coming, whatever their reasons might be, to Lay hold of Jesus. They had heard that Jesus was back. There was a great crowd. It was so crowded that Jesus was not even eating. So they start coming. They start telling people, Jesus has lost his mind. He needs help. And they come. And they called to him. I don't know what they thought. Maybe they thought Jesus just isn't his normal self. If he'd just come home for a little while, have a bite to eat, stop and rest, he would regain some of his senses. He'd go about this ministry thing, this rabbi thing, with a little bit more wisdom. Maybe they thought he doesn't realize how dangerous things have gotten. 
whether it was Jesus' own family in verse 21 or those that were close to him, it appears that they, they had his, quote, best interests at heart. The word to take control or take custody uh, of Jesus is uh, less a reference to um, harm as it is uh, to take him out to rescue him. That's a good word. That's the word that I'm looking for. Um, and so they come with these intentions. And yet their intentions to rescue Jesus, to take custody of Jesus, are not the will of God. And in fact, they show this clearly in their statement about Jesus. When they say that he has lost his mind, he's not acting or thinking straight. They came. They did not come acting with the will of God in mind. People that care about us do not always have God's will at heart and mind. They may genuinely care about us. But even someone's goodwill can stand between us and the Lord if He's calling us to do something. And what does Jesus do in this situation? His family is calling for Him. They want Him to come. We need to have a family conference, Jesus. We need to talk this out. Jesus takes his attention off of his biological, earthly family and onto a new family, to a very different kind of relationship. You see, as much as he loved his family, we have no indications in the Gospels that Jesus didn't care about them. He cared deeply about what happened to his mother. Care deeply about his brothers. But Jesus saw obedience to God as more important than blood relations. And so the crowd, verse 32, was sitting around him and they said, look, your, parent, or your mother and your brothers are outside. They're seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Keep in mind, as we read this, that to the Jew, life and family were inseparable. They believed themselves to be born into the covenant of God. Family ties were everything. 
And yet John teaches us in the prologue to his gospel, John 1 verse 13, that the children of God are born not of blood or of the will of man or of the will of the flesh, but of God. We're born, my friends, into the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. This is why Nicodemus will say that the one, or Jesus will say to Nicodemus that we must be born again, born of the Spirit. Jesus taught us that this new life under God is not defined by blood relations. It's not about family lineage or family ties, but rather devotion to God, who is the head of a new family in Jesus Christ. You know, every home has house rules of a sort. Some of them are unwritten. You just know if you belong to this family, you are going to act in this way. By the time a kid's 10 years old, you don't have to tell them, don't put your feet on the table. That's not allowed in our house or whatever your rules might be. And there's the ones that hang on the wall, the nice little plaque that says, you know, Laugh lots and hug often. Do you, have you ever seen those? Trish, you're good at those. Um, but you know what? <laughs> those plaques are just for show a lot of times. They look nice, they sound nice, but they're not necessarily the reality. But what's my point? What's Jesus' house rules? What does Jesus care about? What does it mean to be a part of his family? To do the will of God. That's what he says. If you want to know the family of God, it's actually quite simple. God's children are marked by doing God's will. And John... 6 verse 40, John reminds us, above all, this is what Jesus said, the will of God is that we would believe in His Son. The will of my Father, Jesus says, is that you would believe in His Son. That you would trust Him completely. In John chapter 6, the people are clamoring for bread, but they reject or care not about the very one who is the Son of God, the very one who is the bread of heaven. Here in Mark, we see two groups that do not believe, at this point at least, in the Son. They do not recognize Jesus as Lord and as God. So they say that he's lost his mind. They call him demon-possessed. 
And they're revealed in that moment by their fruit. But Jesus demonstrates time and again that he is Lord. That he is God's only son. We want to be in his family. We must worship him as Lord. And do what he says. Above all, we shouldn't accept anything lesser than that. Jesus Christ will go to the cross to redeem his family, his people, including his own family members who were there on that day. His mother and those of his brothers that we know came to accept him as Lord, to see that he was the Son of God. As those that trust in Jesus Christ, we may, like Jesus, face opposition in unlikely places. If Jesus himself was called mad and a demoniac, we know that followers of Jesus have been called the same. Thinking about a story that I'd read a while ago, and, and basically the gist of the story is this daughter wants to go to be a missionary in China. Mom says no. <laughs> she says, you're going to have to go over my dead body. And... Uh, you know, um, as the story goes, she, she does give her blessing. The mom gives her blessing at the very end. But I always found it interesting, kind of sad, that the mom actually does die after giving her blessing of some uh, unexpected operation. And I just wonder, how many times like that mother have we, whether for a time or stood in the way of other people doing the will of God? How many times have we listened to others rather than the will of God? Is it God's will that matters most to me, to you? Whom do you care most deeply about? Faith in Jesus. Obeying our God is what counts. The family of Jesus listens to Jesus. The family of God does the will of God.